It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, episode 124. This is Stan Drive, your host and my co-host, the Juliana Pena Jab to my Amanda Nunes Fight IQ, Nick Braccia. It is good to be on with you, buddy. Likewise, likewise. Good to see you, man. Nick, I'm, I'm still not entirely over the fact that Amanda Nunes basically just gave up. Didn't want to fight anymore in the second round against, of all people, Nikolai Juliana Pena, against somebody who's been dominated for two rounds by several opponents, whether or not she won in that third round. Still can't wrap my head around it, man. It is so disappointing. And I think only in the women's division uh, can you have somebody be like the goat of all goats and not necessarily have the opportunity to display a whole lot of heart over a few years, man. This thing is messing with my head a little bit. I, I think we don't have the whole story. Here's what I think has happened. I think she had an injury. I think her cardio wasn't good. And she kept the fight and thought she'd be able to get out of there in the first round. I think this is strictly an issue of like, cause she was not prepared. I think her cardio, I think her cardio was gone. And that at that point she just gave up. I think something happened. Right. Well, that's, that's the giving up part, right? And you usually give up when you're tired or you're in a terrible position. Just concerning to me still, man. It still bugs me. I know we did that episode, you know, talking uh, through this entire card on Monday, but it's still fresh on my mind. But we do have something to look forward to. I think this is the last UFC card of the year, Nikolai. We have UFC Fight Net, Lewis versus Doc is coming up, and that's what we're going to preview for you guys uh, on this episode. Nikolai, Derek Lewis, obviously a veteran, somebody who put together a serious win streak leading up to his loss to Cyril Gaon in his last bout. Versus Chris Dawkins, who's only got the four UFC bouts, right? Versus Lewis, who probably has like something like like 20 UFC fights. And those four fights, man, are first and second round knockouts, consistency through and through. But we haven't necessarily seen him show, seen him have to show heart, right? Speaking of Amanda Nunes, we haven't necessarily seen him have to show serious cardio during this run yet. And I think like hopefully some of that will get tested and we can get better answers as to where each of these guys is at this point in their careers. Yeah, I mean, you got Derek Lewis coming off of a, a very weak loss, and was that was that fight in Houston? That was in Houston too, in front of his hometown crowd, right? Yeah, man. And and this is also in Houston. No, I, I think this is a. Oh, it's in Vegas. This is in Vegas. Apex. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it really comes down to what is. Where's I think this? I think everything about this fight is is what's what's Derek will Derek Lewis's will to win. Um, cause he's going to get hit. He's going to get hit and he's going to get hit hard. And I think that, yeah. um, I think, I think Dawkins is going to throw and we have seen, we have seen him wilt, but Dawkins also has been knocked out in the last two years, not in the UFC, but he was knocked out in 2019 in a different organization right before this run. So, right, right. And, that, and that's, and that's part of what makes this difficult to call, right? What's Lewis's motivation, as you alluded to. Versus Dawkins, uh, like how much has he improved in the last couple of years during this streak? Yeah, you, you're right about that, man. Interesting matchup. I, I think it'll be fun to break down. So Nikolai, at this point, the competition is probably all but buttoned up. I mean, you have this one event to make up some points, but at this point, I'm 17 points ahead, 134 to your 17 points, Nikolai. Um, picked up eight points in the last event. You only picked up one. This is the kind of event, like I think that we needed in reverse. Because imagine if you had picked up that event and you had scored it within three, right? If you had picked up eight points from that event and I only picked up one, we would have been within like three or four points, and then we're talking. 
talking about like this event could decide everything. Unfortunately, the competition uh, uh, end of it is probably over, but we're still going to get into this uh, with our uh, with the way that we've been doing it, the MMA Geeks draft style. Each of us take turns picking fights on the card. We break them down as we go along. And then at the end of Saturday night, whoever uh, has however many wins, we kind of tally it up. You get one point for a correct winner. You get two points if you successfully pick an underdog of plus 150 or above. Nick, you've taken advantage of that a couple times, several times, I'll say, over the course of this season. Uh, Let's get into this, man. You had the the first pick last time, Nick Lyon. You were fortunate enough to uh, have the opportunity to pick Amanda Nunes first. Which you you would have done also. A hundred million percent, one million percent. I would have. So I'm, I'm fortunate that that was an event. It, it, it's funny because leading up to that, I was like, ah, he's gonna get Amanda Nunes. The guaranteed win was not a guaranteed win, man. And I, I think that goes to show you where MMA is. So many upsets in MMA versus other sports versus boxing, even right. It's a much less predictable sport with so many variables uh, that that is way more difficult to predict. Which obviously makes our jobs here on the podcast a little bit more difficult. My first pick is going to be in the Honey Barcelos Victor Henry matchup. Victor Henry is kind of a journeyman, right? He's got a pretty good record, so much experience on, on, on this guy. And if you look at his record outside the UFC, Nick, he's not fighting a bunch of like a bunch of mediocre human beings. He's not fighting a bunch of cab drivers, right? He's facing some pretty legit competition, some pretty good records on these guys. He's got wins over some UFC veterans like Kyler Phillips, right? A, a competitive decision. And so he's not like a like a walkover for most guys in the UFC. But for Hani Barcelos, I think it's a lot to ask for. Hani Barcelos has excellent wrestling, high-level black belt Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, insane boxing, right? He's coming off of a decision loss and a fight that, I mean, was close, was competitive, could have gone either way against another hot prospect in uh, Timor Valuev. I think that Hani Barcelos beats up Victor Henry over the course of three rounds. Henry has a lot of heart. He's going to try to pressure. He's going to try to do his damnedest. But man, Hardy Barcelos from top position is going to have his way. Standing up for the most part, he's going to have his way. But Victor Henry is going to land some shots occasionally there too. I just think Hardy Barcelos is too much for Victor Henry's UFC debut despite all of his experience. Yeah, this is going to be my first pick. So thanks for taking that, asshole. Um, (laughs) I'm going to counter with... I, I think this is what's an obvious, not the not the widest uh, from an odds margin, but for me, um, I think this is a clear changing of the guard fight. Um, I'm going to take Ricky Simone um, to be the the always tricky in game, uh, Rafael Asuncao. I just think Ricky Simone has has come into his own uh, at the same time that Asuncao has. Uh, I mean, he's been around forever, like forever, way back. WEC was was there when like in the like Jens Pulver and WEC days fight fighting everyone. That's right. And I think that um, even though he, he can be, he can be tricky on the ground and he's got pretty good uh, striking defense. I think Ricky Simone is explosive, scrappy, going to be faster in the scrambles. Um, and is, I think he's just going to like own the positions and touch up the Sun Sao. I think this probably goes to a decision. Asuncao is hard to get out of there, despite you know Cody Garbrand, uh, lock, you know, knocking him out with that one shot. And Simone doesn't right. doesn't isn't exactly known for that kind of like blast off power. It could be that he gets a grounded pound. I don't think he'll submit Asuncao. I really see this as a. I feel pretty confident that Ricky Simone gets a, a twenty nine twenty eight, or more likely a thirty twenty seven. So. I mean, I will say this much, Nick. When it comes to Rafael Asuncao, like. 
he's always underestimated. He's always disrespected, whether it be by the odds or otherwise, right? The guy's got wins over TJ Dillashaw, Pedro Munoz, Brian Caraway when Caraway was in his prime. He beat Aljamain Sterling as he was coming up. He beat Marlon Moraes. He has a win over Rob Font, right? But that was all leading into this three-fight losing streak. But even the three-fight losing streak, Marlon Moraes and Cordy, Corey Sanhagen are, you know, still top-level fighters, especially Marlon when he beat uh, a Sun Sal. He was still, like, at the at the peak of his career before his chin went and Cody Garbrandt is a little bit more concerning. It was a competitive fight. Could have gone either way and saw Garbrandt just landed that massive right hand. Um, so it's not like he was outskilled by Cody Garbrandt, but it's still concerning. Fighting a guy here who's, let's face it, a step down, right? When when Ricky Simone faces that top-level competition, Rob Font, Uriah Faber, those guys take, take care of business, right? And he faced, uh, he faced Marab Devashvili and Montel Jackson, so he does do well against those prospects. Even Brian Kelleher could be arguably a prospect, although I think he's kind of a top... 15 gate, uh, gatekeeper. Um, look, uh, he, he beat Ray Borg, which is a super impressive win. Um, I, I'm there with you about Ricky Simone, but I think at these odds, there's some value on a Sun Sal by decision. Uh, by that prop, you get plus 500 odds. I think that's worth putting it at if only $20 onto, and worst case, you lose 20. Best case, you walk away with a $100 bonus because Sun Sal is not going to finish this fight in all likelihood, although he does crack with that right hand occasionally. Um, Ricky Simone is just a relentless pressure forward wrestler, and he lands just one shot at a time standing, but he has pretty good uh, head movement. A Sun Sal is really crafty there. He's going to counter him pretty frequently. I could see a Sun Sal winning a decision, but I agree with you on, on this one. This would have been lower down on my list because I, I think a Sun Sal is a really skilled guy, and I'm not sure that Simone is proven against this level. But the 10-year age difference obviously is a factor here as well. Um, I'm going to take in my second pick, Nick, I'm going to trust the heavyweight here, and I've trusted this heavyweight before, and it, specifically in his last fight where, I, as it turns out, I should not have. I'm going to take Justin Taffa to beat Harry Hansucker. Justin Taffa might not be like super reliable against a live opponent. He's only four and three, right? Coming off of a loss to Jared Vandera, who hasn't looked good since that uh, win. Um, coming off of a split decision loss to Carlos Felipe, but Harry Hunsucker is particularly bad. Like he's winless in the UFC, uh, or I should say winless between contender series in the UFC he was knocked out in the first round by Jared Vandera and Taito Ivasa. Uh, speaking of common opponents, right with, uh, with Vandera, I just feel like Tafa is going to piece him up in the first round. He's going to land some bombs and it's going to be over. Uh, Hunsucker is like a, seems like a nice guy. And I guess he's kind of fun to watch cause he has no defense, but he shouldn't be competitive in this matchup. Trusting a heavyweight, uh, this early on, I realize it's risky, but I feel like with how bad Harry Huntsucker is and how decent Tafa is, uh, you can rely on Tafa. Yeah, this is going to be my next pick, so thank you for also ruining that. Um, Woo! I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, One of my favorite things about this podcast is taking those picks away from you, but then often enough when I do, Nick, they end up not going my way, so it's good. not that simple. What you got next, bud? Uh, hmm. Next, I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with the uh, surprisingly durable Gerald Mearshart coming off of uh, that awesome win he had against uh, your countryman, Mahmoud Muradov. Um, and I'm going to pick him uh, to defeat uh, Dustin uh, Stolfus, who I just think that Stolfus's path to victory, right, is usually um, connected to – his grappling, if I remember correctly. Um, you guys saw twisters, guillotines, yeah. arm triangles. Like Gerald Mearshart's super savvy in that area, and he's so big and strong. 
I just uh, I don't think I I think this is a favorable matchup for Mearshark comparatively compared to a lot of the matchups he gets where he has to eat gigantic fucking bombs before having any chance at applying his game. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Dawkins is not a very fast guy, and he was able to have his way with uh, Stolfus. The thing with Stolfus is he's coming off the German scene where everybody at 185 in the German scene probably should be fighting at like 170, and nobody's particularly good, even if they have decent records, right? Like, you're not fighting real prospects coming out of that part of the world. The European MMA scene is not that high level outside of, I would say, I would say the UK, uh, probably. And here he's fighting, you know, Kyle Dawkins, Rodolfo Vera two black belts, Gerald Merchart, a third black belt in a row, right? Like this is not, this is not on paper looking good for him, but Dustin should be the faster man early. Probably going to, probably going to do pretty well in the first round against Mir- unless Merchart can get an early takedown. But I think Merchart's just relentlessness. If Merchart doesn't get finished in the first round, man, he does some damage, man. If you look at his record in the UFC, he lost a split decision to Eric Anders that probably should have gone his way. Lost a split decision to Kevin Holland that probably should have gone his way. Outside of that, he got finished by Jack Hermanson in the first round, Ian Heinich in the first round, and Chimaev in the first round, right? Dustin Stolfus is not likely to finish him in the first round, and if he doesn't, I, I think Merchart's going to take over. So I'm there with you on the pick, and this is fairly high up on my list as well. Um, and my next pick, Nikolai, I'm going to take. I think I have to pull the trigger. Um, Angela Hill is a Norton, you know, a local New York fighter, somebody who I've been following for a while because you know we'd been on the sparring floor together. She's uh, went to 16 or no under Evolution Muay Thai, which is a school that I'm affiliated with, a school that I you know do a lot of uh, sparring at, a, a really good team over here in Manhattan. And then she transitioned to MMA, moved to, I think, the Midwest and, you know, just kind of had to learn on the job over the years, right? She's at her best point in her career now. She's way more well-rounded than she ever was. It's not just Muay Thai for her at this point. Um, And she's competing with some of the best talent on the planet with close competitive fights. But Amanda Lemos, I think, like, she's extremely talented. She's extremely fast. She hits incredibly hard, right? Those dynamics are going to be tough to compete with for almost anybody at 115 because she could be doing this at 125 to a lot of girls, man, with, with her level of talent. Um, the only fight that we saw Lemos, Lemos kind of go to decision on, on this four-fight win streak was against uh, Mizuki Inoue in a fight where Mizuki was able to basically hold her up against that fence for the majority of it. Mizuki's pretty crafty in her own right, right? She wasn't standing at a distance where Lemos is just a nightmare. Um, She put the pressure on her in a grappling way, even if she couldn't get consistent takedowns. And really what that did was save her from getting destroyed. I don't like I do think Angela Hill's gritty enough, right? When she gets finished, it's by submission. It's not usually because somebody starches her. Granted, you know, not a whole lot of women at 115 have that starching power like Lemos does. So I think Angela Hill toughs her way to a decision, uh, probably similarly to the way that she did against Jessica Andrade. I could see Angela Hill winning that third round. I think if this is a five rounder, it's probably gonna favor Angela Hill, but it's a three round fight, and for that reason I think Amanda Lemos will do enough damage in those first three rounds. Um Lemos hits hard enough so that she can knock out any girl at 115. So there's a chance Angela Hill uh can get can get hit pretty badly here early. But uh I expect this will be a, a, a tough, gritty performance from Hill where she has to make it through some really tough moments, have a couple of decent moments at the very end, but still lose a decision. Yeah, that does sound very sim- so you're picking Lemos, and that does sound, you know, pretty similar. Uh, to to the Andrade matchup, right? Yeah, yeah. Except Lemos is way more technical and bigger than Andrade, so there's some complicating matters. Of course, Angela Hill was much younger in her career and less skilled when she fought Andrade. To be fair, yeah, man. And I don't know if another fighter like Angela whose record is approaching like 500, who has fought better fights against high level competition. She's like the most impressive yeah. 13 and 10 fighter you could imagine. 
Um, I, I, I tend to agree with you, man, especially like, again, a lot of it is in the, in fighting these up and comers, right? She's beating the Hannah Cyphers, Carnelosis, the Luma Lugbumes, um, the uh, Ashley Yoders. I thought she's she got, I mean, she Torres, came real damn close Watersons. in the Waterson fight. I mean, she's had, she, did. she had, right. and, and, and the Cadelia fight. That she that. Yeah. Anyway, um, I agree with you. Moving on. Yon and Shan, that, that fight could have arguably gone her way, but that's another thing is that Angela Hill tends to be on the wrong end of close decisions. So even if this is super competitive, yeah. it might not go her way. Uh, moving on. I'm a big fan of Bilal. Remember the name Muhammad. But um, I just think even at his advanced age of whatever he is, 38, 39, that this, I think this is a bad style matchup for him. I don't think he's big enough uh, or explosive enough as a wrestler um, to – unlock kind of the, the, the secret to keeping uh, Thompson uncomfortable. I just think we've seen a couple other people keep Muhammad at range and pick them apart. And that's Steve, that's Steven Thompson's um, bread and butter. I just, I think this is a really bad style matchup for Bilal Muhammad, who, who I, I believe is, you know, right on the verge of the top 10 in welterweight. Maybe he deserves top in consideration. I, I don't think he's got any of the skills required to, uh, to solve the wonder boy puzzle. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. Like, Bilal really relies on his tenacity, his heart. He has a pretty high fight IQ, I think. Like, he, he's known for watching tape, and he'll watch tape from prior years, from, like, Pride and from, from like, UFC five years ago of a matchup that's similar to his, right? So he'll he'll find a, a matchup in which it's a Steven Thompson-type uh, opponent against the, just a gritty pressure fighter like himself and see what worked for that gritty pressure fighter and try to try to mimic that. So smart guy, really loves the sport. He's married to it in every way you possibly could be, but he's not terribly fast. He's not very athletic. He doesn't hit particularly hard, right? And if he had any one of those things, I think that would have allowed him to go from being that like B, B plus fighter to possibly an A minus A level fighter. But I think it's his lack of athleticism that's going to cost him in this one. Um, Thompson's one of the best kickboxers to transition to MMA, right? Israel Adesanya is one that's, you know, obviously a step above. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of that. Excellent UFC record for someone who's never won a title. His losses were generally kind of explained away. He got caught by Woodley in a really close five-round fight. Uh, you know, outside of their draw, he also lost that very close decision. He got caught by Pettis after dominating him, right? But his most recent loss to Burns was a bit different. He got outcrafted, basically, right? Burns um, was able to was able to apply pressure in the clinch, was able to get takedowns, which hasn't really happened to Stephen Thompson before. And it's concerning that Thompson's last two losses are to guys that used to compete at 155, right? So it doesn't require a whole lot of strength necessarily uh, on paper to, to really outcraft him by smaller guys. Um, which is why what makes this like a less easy pick than it should be on paper. Bilal could possibly press him up against the fence and win rounds that way. Could possibly slip late takedowns potentially. Um, but since Muhammad is a busy pressure fighter and Thompson is an expert against such opponents, like his best case is somebody who's going to move forward with offense because he's going to counter. That is what he's an expert at. Since uh, Leon Edwards styled on Muhammad for a few minutes before the eye poke, I'm picking Thompson to outpoint Muhammad, who I think will you know tough his way to a decision in this matchup. So I, I agree with you on the pick. And by the way, the last, uh, the first six fights that you and I just broke down were my top six picks. So those are out of the way. My next matchup, um, I think I'm going to go for Dontel Mays over Josh Parisian. Again, hard to rely on heavyweights, but Dontel Mays is way bigger than Parisian. Parisian is pretty decent from top position if he can get into a ground and pound situation, which Mays sucks on the ground. So 
there's real risk here, but I just feel like Dontel Mays is fast. He he can keep him at the end of his straight punches, right? At a distance, he's solid. In the clinch, he's not great. On the ground, he's pretty mediocre, but I suspect that Dontel Mays is going to be able to keep this standing long enough, if only given his athleticism and size advantage. So I, I have got Mays in that matchup. Me too. I'll, I'll never pick Josh Parisian again. Um, here's why <laughs> you I'm, you know what? I, got, I, got, I got nothing to lose here, and she's not quite at a 150, so I wouldn't be able to get the double. I'm going to pick Melissa Gatto to beat Sajara Eubanks. I, I don't think Sajara Eubanks has the best uh, fight IQ. And I think on the ground, she uh, when she gets her, she does, uh, her top control is pretty good. But Melissa Gatto, it seems like her MMO from the little bit of, of research is that she's a fucking arm snatcher. Um, she gets armbar finishes, she breaks arms. She's a, she's a jiu-jitsu whiz. And I just don't. I think Eubanks, she can gas, and I don't think that she's got uh, great defense. Is she going to be strong enough to power out of uh, an armbar? Like, maybe, but I think this is a tricky matchup, and that I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to guess that Melissa Gatto uh, snatches an arm and gets a tap. Oh, you think she's going to submit her? Interesting. You yeah. think it'll happen late? Um, I Look, I, I see all the potential for an underdog pick here. I'm actually surprised you didn't go for a different underdog pick, which I think I'm going to make next, Nick. Um, I see the potential for it, man. And here's the tricky thing about this fight is that Sarge is taking this fight uh, at 125, right? Back down to a division where she's had more success. I'm not sure that she's lost in that division, uh, to be to be honest with you. Um, will she be able to cut that weight? She's a big girl. How will she look on the scale? I think that'll largely decide this. For that reason... I don't have a strong feeling. I think there's potential underdog uh, value here in Gato. I think she's really she's pretty crafty, especially on the ground. It's just tough to pick her in a wrestling matchup against Eubanks. Um, maybe Eubanks is in phenomenal shape, cutting down to 125. I looked this here on the scale before, I'm sure, but I'm going to give the slightest, slightest edge to Eubanks by decision here, given her craft experience and size and strength advantage. But if she, sees, she looks shitty on the scale, I'm absolutely there with you uh, on Gato. Um, Nikolai, next, I'm going to take an underdog in the Charles Jordan Andre Ewell matchup. Andre Ewell just barely making it a plus 150 on most sport, sports books, right? He barely uh, passes that threshold. Here's the thing about Ewell the argument could be made that the reason he's lost a lot of his uh, fights against, by the way, really talented opposition, he lost to Julio Arce, Chris Gutierrez, Marlon Vera, and Nathaniel Wood in the UFC, right? This is really high, like really high level prospects that he's losing to here. He's not losing to to mediocre opposition. He beat Anderson Dos Santos, who's pretty good. Beat Henan Barrow, which, you know, could or could not mean something early in his career, though. His UFC debut, it's a pretty good win. He beat Jonathan Martinez, who's crafty and good. He beat Irvin Rivera, right? So so he's beaten like Charles Jordan level of competition. I think Jordan's largely overrated, if you ask me, right? Uh, lost to Julian Arosa. He's a crafty guy. I get it. Beat Marcelo Rojo, who's not a great fighter overall. He got a split draw against Joshua Koulibau, who I think took this on short notice, who I think is a smaller man. And actually, no, Koulibau fights at 145, I think, generally. Um, and, and so, like, he's underperformed largely. Let's face he's it. Underperformed, like, he's underperformed, but he's, he's, he had all this. There's a reason why, though, yep. which is that. His chin is not good, and he fights with his he fights with his head in the air, and he, his his striking offense is really bad. Um, the question is: Is Ewell going to have? I enough... think his offense is good as defense. Sucks. That's what I meant. I meant it's, his striking defense yeah, is yeah. really bad. But is it, is it right. is he usually getting caught by heavier hitters than Andre Ewell? Like I don't know, but that it's usually everything's going great with Jordan until it's not until he until you know until he gets countered or he runs into something, and it's not, you know, it's usually something right. quite big. Yeah, I hear that. 
Um, the thing with the thing with you, Ewell is, and, and I don't disagree with you on any of those points. I think with Ewell is, um, he's now coming up to 145 for this matchup. Could his cardio issues, because he tends to win the first round against almost everybody, tends to do well in the second round, things start to fall apart in the third round. Could his cardio issues be coming from the fact that he has been cutting too much weight, right? He's a pretty big guy for that 135 division. He's extremely fast for that division. One of the fastest guys there, especially early in a fight. I think he'll have the speed advantage. I think he'll have the technique advantage. Um, and hopefully the the lack of weight cut will allow him to go strong for a little bit longer. I could see the pressure of, of, uh, of Jordan coming on strong late and maybe having an effect, but I see value here, man. I'm, I'm going to take him for two points. I'm taking you all. All right. So that I'm up next. And uh, do you agree with the picnic? Who do you have in that one? You know, I really thought that was a pick em. I didn't realize, and it was, I was going to leave it to one of the last picks. I did not realize that you was such an underdog. Um, right. It's hard, man. You got weak jaw against like dude with questionable fight IQ. Um, this is, I think this is such a pick em. But, I mean, if we were going to pretend that I was going to get the underdog points, I would go with Yule. I just, I just overlooked, I just overlooked that. Um, Got it. But, but you originally had Charles Jordan. I originally picked Charles Jordan for his pressure game as well. I just see value there. What you got next, buddy? Oof, this is such a tough one. Um, I think uh, such a weird fight. I think that over the course of three rounds, the Cub Swanson's technique and composure is going to win a decision over uh, Darren Elkins. I think Elkins is just is just too hittable, and I don't I don't blame Cub Swanson too much uh, for falling to that um, to that that body kick from Chikaze, which is a, a killer shot, the Giga Kick TM. Um, I. I yeah I I think I think Cub Swanson's too smart of a fighter still even at his advanced age. I mean you've got Elkins is thirty seven, Cub Swanson is thirty eight. I mean they're both they're both up there. I just I just think Swanson's a, a smarter fighter and if he can if he can avoid getting into really stupid exchanges, which I think he can, um, I think he can win a decision here. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think Swanson's takedown defense is actually pretty solid. He's pretty crafty on the ground if he needs to be. He can get turnovers. He can go for submissions. He can get up to his feet. His stand-up, like, if he's not worried and if he's letting it go, he is really dynamic and really powerful, right? As we as we saw in a couple of those recent fights uh, against the likes of Daniel Pineda, who, to be fair, gassed, right? And that was part of the issue here. I don't think that, um, I don't think we're going to see Darren Elkins gas in this matchup, but I think there's such a big divide in their stand-up. Um, I'm going to edge toward Cup Swanson. And if he loses this matchup, then he's done. Like, career-wise, he's basically done. And, and it's really disappointing. His his wins recently were over, over Cron Gracie and Daniel Pineda, both guys that really needed to take down to get the win. And although Darren Elkins is a good takedown artist, he's not that great on the floor once he gets there. And it's not like Cup Swanson has gas tank issues, which is usually what Darren Elkins relies on to win his fights, is to overwhelm a guy enough by the end of the fight, his opponent's tired. Um, so I'm there with you. I, I agree with the pick, and this was likely going to be uh, either my next one or one of my next few picks. Next up, Nikolai, I'm going to go ahead and take... I'm going to take... Oh, this is where it gets real, real dicey. These last four fights are really hard to pick. I think I'm going to take... I'm going to... I think I'll pick the main event at this point. Um, we all know with Derek Lewis, right, he's... 
25 and 8, 16 and 6 in the UFC. Wins over Blagoy Ivanov, Alexander Volkov, Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades. His losses are to JDS, Daniel Cormier, Mark Hunt, and Cyril Gaon. Super athletic for the weight, fast and powerful. He can be taken down, right? But he usually relies on that, relies on his opponents taking him down for a couple of rounds before they're so exhausted from him continuing to get up and them having to take uh, him back down again that he gets a late knockout more often than not in those situations. Whereas Dawkins, 12-13 overall, 4-0 in the UFC, Super fast with his hands, heavy hands, man. He lands and he drops people on the regular. He's gotten into much better shape since entering the UFC. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but doesn't need to use it given the advantage he has with his hands over almost every opponent. Basically running through his first handful of opponents in the UFC. Lewis has always had trouble with opponents who are technically better than he is as long as they have the gas tank to keep winning the fight. If they don't have the gas tank to keep winning the fight, he's going to find the knockout punch once he notices uh, an opponent fatigue. Prior to his UFC career, Dawkins used to have gas tank issues, but he's taken time off his career as a cop to focus on MMA lately, and it's paid off. He's looking in significantly physically better shape. He's really slimmed down. Went from looking like a really sloppy guy to a slightly less doughy guy lately. Uh, you know, he's also beating prospects and contenders like Rodrigo Nascimento, Parker Porter, Alexei Olenek, Shamil Abdurahimov, right? These are not mediocre opponents, whether they're ranked or not. These are either, again, prospects or entrenched in that top 15 both guys have been looking in the best shape of their careers lately, but both have knockout power in their hands. Lewis has more experience. Dawkins is more technical. Dawkins has not been out of the second round of the UFC yet, which worries me as he's heading to his first five-rounder against like a durable guy, especially since he used to have gas tank issues. But I'm assuming Dawkins has the gas tank to keep going if Lewis doesn't go down easily. And I can see the opportunity for Dawkins to do something similar that Cyril Gaon did. Gaon being the guy that's lighter on his feet, faster, more technical, right? He was able to piece him apart and just like get him out of there in the second round. Lewis wanted no part of it. So I'm taking the momentum of the young gun over the experience of the veteran. I've got uh, Dawkins in this one, but not super confident. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, I think this could be, I just don't know where, I just don't know where Derek Lewis's will is. And we've seen him quit before, um, both early and late in his career. I'm going to go next. Yeah. We've also seen him almost so quit and then come back. So tricky matchup, but I yeah. agree with you. Um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to pick against the prospect and go with a veteran uh, in a very close fight. I like Macy Chazon a lot, but you can see she's still eight fights into her career. Uh, she's fig- she's figuring stuff out. Uh, Rocky Pennington only has 20 fights somehow. It seems like she should have so many more, but in the last eight years, She's only lost to the best of the best. Really champions. Amanda Nunes, Jermaine Durandamy, Holly Holm, uh, Jessica Andrade. Literally since Ultimate Fighter Season 18, where she lost to Jessica uh, Rakowski, she's only only been defeated by women who have held MMA gold. And in her last two fights, I, I, after I had counted her out, after some, after, um, some not great uh, performances against those excellent fighters, she's come back. Uh, to look really good against Marion Renault and Penny Kianzad, who's a, who's a who's a legit fighter. It's a real tough draw for Macy Chazon, who has only faced um, in the last really in her in her UFC career. Like I mean, she did beat Penny Kianzad, uh, you know, on tough. But Gina Mazzani, Sarah Morass, Lena Landsberg, Shanna Young, Marion Renault—not the same degree of competition. I think Rocky Pennington. Yeah, I think Rocky Pennington is really savvy, and she's going to be able to watch. Uh, She's going to be able to watch the, the Landsberg loss and see other areas where Chazon has had trouble and make her and make her fight in areas where she's uncomfortable because Pennington's pretty good everywhere. I think this is a, a gatekeeper 
like holding holding their ground uh, kind of matchup. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Rocky Pennington here. Yeah, I'm there with you. Um, by a close margin. The complicating thing in this one is that Chazon took this on short notice, which is not in her favor. But this fight is at this fight is at 145, which means Chazon doesn't have to cut that weight. She's naturally much bigger girl. That could go in her favor, especially in a three-rounder. But I agree with you. I think Rocky Pennington's craft is going to be good enough here. Standing up, she generally kind of lunges in with big shots, with quick shots, and gets out of there before her opponent's able to counter. She's crafty enough in the clinch where she shouldn't get overwhelmed by the potentially stronger Macy Chazon there. In fact, I think Pennington can use the clinch to score points. I think Pennington can get top position and potentially do well. Um, you're right that Macy Chazon, like she was a finisher through the Ultimate Fighter, and she won that season. And she beat Penny Kianzad in the final. She beat Leia Lutz and uh, Larissa Pachenko. So, like, these are girls that hung out in the UFC and like Penny Kianzad in particular has done really well. And she finished Kianzad back, you know, back in 2018. Granted, Kianzad has been looking really good since then. But then her other wins are over girls who have serious holes like Maras, Bazani, like Shayna Young, who was just making her UFC debut on short notice. Marion Renau, who's like 49 years old and, and still kicking it. So I agree with you on the pick by a close margin. Um, I, I like the fact that Raquel Pennington had a full training camp and it does seem like Rock, Rocky Pennington and her significant other, um, Tiny Tornado. Who's a Tiny Tornado, Nick? Tisha Torres, right? They're like in a great place right now. They're training together. They're supporting each other. They've had struggled with, you know, whether it be depression or what have you in the past. They seem to be in great places. They're both on winning streaks. So uh, I'm there with you on, on uh, Rocky Pennington. I think she holds the gate. And then in the next matchup, Nick, I think I'm going to take another flyer and an underdog. Uh, even though if there wasn't this value on the odds, I would not have taken Diego Fajaya. Um, I am going to pick Diego Fajaya to edge out Mateos Gambro. Gambro has that takedown ability and, and can hold people down in the way that Ferreira has uh, Ferreira has struggled in this past couple of fights. Ferreira is also up there in age, so it's concerning, right? He he quit in that last fight, and that's really concerning. That that's one of the biggest concerning elements. But he took that fight on three weeks' notice, right? He didn't have a full training camp, wasn't able to cut the weight properly. It seems like he's in a but much better position here. I'm not convinced that he's training up four to seven May. For Ferreira is, um, and I don't know if he like trains at his own gym and also and also spends time at four to seven May. If it, if that is the case. I'm going to take him a plus 160, man. I think there's some underdog value here. Mateos Gambro, like, I'm not convinced about his striking yet. I think he's, like, decent there. I can see him getting out pressured by Ferreira. And I think if Ferreira can get him on the back foot, it would be harder for Gambro to shoot for those low, low, low singles like he does. He literally, like, picks at the ankle, makes you lose your balance, and gets that takedown. But Diego Ferreira, as long as his cardio's there, you should give him fits even on the ground. Gambro's a really good grappler. Don't get me wrong. But I think Diego Ferreira's not the kind of guy to get overwhelmed in that way. So uh, I've got Diego Ferrer here at plus 160. It's worth two points. I'm going to take a flyer on him. Uh, same. Same for me. That leaves me with one fight. that oh, I Really? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That leaves me with one fight that I don't have a whole heck of a lot uh, <laughs> to say about. It's like a pick. It's a pick em fight between two prospects who have both looked good and not so good. Um, but... I think you're dealing with uh, this is going to be the case of it is a lightweight against a featherweight. Um, I think Jordan Levitt's pretty strong. Uh, he's going to have the height and the reach advantage. It's Alliance via uh, Alliance. Matt Sales is with Alliance. We've got uh, Jordan Levitt fighting out of Syndicate. Um, but I think I think that the size of Jordan Levitt's going to cause uh, is going to cause some problems uh, for Matt Sales. Interesting. The size, you think, will be the biggest factor. I mean, Sales is coming back. He used to fight at 145. Uh, didn't make weight for his last bout. Two years off now. He's coming back at 155. From what I understand, he bloomed up to like two, 
two and change, over 200 pounds over the course of that layoff. So, like, I don't know that he'll be, like, physically the stronger, the, the weaker guy because Levitt is not very athletic. He's not very fast, right? He's just got this weird ground game, almost like a poor man's... Um, who was it that got the win on uh, on the last week's event by decision? Nick, the the grappler who Kenny Florian is good friends with. Yeah, that guy, oh, Ryan can't. Hall. That guy, Ryan Hall, exactly. So he's almost like a poor man's Ryan Hall. Matt Sales, like he has the craft standing up. He can avoid takedowns uh, potentially against the guy of Levitt's caliber in wrestling, but he has been submitted a couple times. That's where it gets concerning. I think I'm I think I'm going to edge toward Matt Sales because I think he's just overall more well-rounded. If Sales makes it through the first round, he's probably going to win the fight. I'm just not convinced he's going to. Um, but I, I'm going to take a writer to disagree with you here and, and take Matt Sales uh, to to outcraft him and and potentially win a decision. Just you know, look good standing. Um, he's a close friend of Dominic Cruz's. I'm hoping Cruz spent some time with him on this one and broke down Levitt's style and where the weaknesses are. This is basically a striker versus grappler matchup, and Matt Sales being the striker, I see the risk here. But I, I guess. I'll edge toward him since uh, my points aren't on the line here. Nikolai, a uh, good one in the books. Uh, we we got through this relatively quickly. Let me quickly read through our picks. My first pick was Honey Barcelos over Victor Henry. Took Justin Taffa over Harry Hunsucker. Amanda Lemos over Angela Hill. My fourth pick was Dante Mays over Joss Parisian. I then took Andrew Ewell, underdog, mostly because of the underdog value to beat Charles Jordan at plus 150. I then took... Uh, Chris Dawkins in the main event to beat Derek Lewis, which I see Sir risk in as well. Carlos Diego Ferreira, another underdog pick. Why the heck not? We're at the end of the season anyway. You took... your first pick was Ricky Simone. Second, you took Gerald Merchart. Third, Stephen Thompson, which I think is a pretty solid uh, pick for you. Fourth pick for you was Sajara Eubanks. Fifth, you took Cup Swanson. Sixth, Raquel Pennington. And your last pick was Jordan Levitt to beat Matt Sales. Nick, it should be interesting. It should be intriguing enough, I suppose. Um, this is the last card of the season, so we're going to have a, a couple of weeks off of at least doing research and breaking down fights. But it's been a good year of MMA, Nick, and, and it's a pretty decent card to end off on considering it's a Yeah, fight. and it is. And when I look at the first fight night card on the 15th, about a month from now, um, it's a good fight fan card. Michelle Pahea against Muslim Salikov, Calvin Qatar against Giga Chikadze, Caitlin Kuchagian against Jennifer Maya, Joaquin Buckley against Abdul Razak Al Hassan. That's really interesting. Okay. We have the return of Brandon Royville against Roger. Uh, <coughs> Motherfucker. Uh, Rogerio Bonzerine. <coughs> it's a. Uh, even TJ Brown against Gabriel Benitez. Interest- I mean, just interesting stuff. Um. Court, yeah, Court some, McGee some brought some veterans. Yeah, some veterans of court in, in, on it as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty good mean card I'm looking at there. I I agree with you. It's it's something to start off the year with in a in a few weeks there. But Nick, I got to get your pick quickly for the Jake Paul Tyron Woodley matchup. Woodley's taking this fight on a couple weeks' notice after Jake Paul's original opponent, uh, Tommy Fury pulled out of that matchup. Uh, who do you have in this one? Do you think like Woodley can put it all together considering he apparently has been training for a fight anyway? I mean, it'd be great. I just, <laughs> it's I, like, I don't think Tyron Woodley's done a lot since he knocked out. I'm sorry, choked out um, Darren Till to uh, no. make me think he can do anything. If you ask me if I think Tyron Woodley's going to be able to go out in the driveway and start the car, I'm going to have to be like, I don't know. What are the odds? Give me the, give me the, right. give me the, yeah, I just, like yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it would be amazing if he fucking ended this guy. But like, you know, he, he hurt him a little bit last time. Like, let's let's see. 
Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Every time Woodley threw, and he, like he's a powerful athletic guy, he hurt Jake Paul. Like he buzzed him even when he did, even outside of that one shot in the fourth round where he where you hurt him pretty badly and Jake Paul fell onto the ropes. Um, it seemed like when Tyron Woodley was willing to throw, he was buzzing him. Yeah, Especially and I don't think Paul. I don't think Paul hurt him at all. I don't not that I heard. not at all. Um, it was, was all pitter patter. It was all just scoring points. It was just like that he was willing to throw in time. Woodley largely wasn't, which has been the issue with Woodley for the last really long, long time. Hasn't it for the last several years. So, yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to edge Jake Paul as much as Woodley. If Woodley decides to win this fight, if he actually puts the effort in, he can absolutely it's a win Christ, this fight. a Christmas present the to the world. Even though I like the way that Jake Paul razzes Dana White, I'm, I don't know that it's for the right reason. Me too. So, you know. Anyway, another good year. Uh, another, yeah. another third year in a row that you won after a couple of close years. You ran away with it. This could have been close. Undisputed, yeah. undefeated. Yeah, you know, what are you gonna do? Some would say, some would say the pound for pound greatest fight picker in the history of this podcast, Nick. And there's only two of us to be fair, so it's not a very high list. The good news is that you are in the top two. How do you feel? About it? Happy Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.